It is amazing every once in a while here in, in Houston, we get the uh, the winters that have these these days that are like California weather. And you yeah. Just, you know, yeah, without the California taxes. Sneaking up on uh, <laughs> right. 70 degrees or something. Maybe it's a little warmer than that today, I think. I and, don't know. Uh, yeah. It, it, like I said, I'm, I'm cold-natured, so uh, it feels good. Yeah. Uh, I think we've got a, a front coming through tonight, later on today. I don't, I'm not sure when it's coming, but, yeah, it's, it's going to come down and get uh, colder and breezier. It's going to be uh, raining on us. I don't I didn't, don't remember seeing the prediction for much rain, but uh, just going to be cold and breezy, I think. Well, I, don't, I don't like cold and breezy, but cold and breezy with rain I like even less. True. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can take cold and I can take rainy, but cold and rainy is not fun. I wonder how many, I wonder how many times the two of us have been offshore in some nasty cold and rainy together several <laughs> Look, several looking around wondering if, when it's going to end if it wasn't rainy it was splashy and that that a uh, couple of times we've been in pea soup fall oh, it's yeah. like 50 degrees and it's just sticking to your skin and you can see to nothing. the front to the front of the boat and that's it if yeah. you're lucky yeah remember that the one race where we had to turn the compass light off or cover the compass up and we had to cover the instruments up and everything like that just to see because of the oh the, yeah because it was reflecting in the fog yeah, yeah i think it was a it was a heel bank or race or something like yeah. that there's several major offshore races here in the uh run by Lakewood Yacht Club, Houston Yacht Club, or Galveston Bay Cruising Association, and several of them are overnight. And when we get out there and it's uh, pea soup fog and there's absolutely no wind blowing, it can get kind of scary wondering, what's the sound of that powerboat? That, yeah, they were just thinking of that. That's the one that bothered me when you hear a horn <laughs> and you go, okay, is that a big boat or is that a rig? And... It it's it sounds like it's moving. Yeah, that's a funny thing too. Is I, maybe the fog does that or something? But a lot of times the direction will change on you when yeah, you don't expect you go, it to. That thing's moving, and then it turns it out to be a rig. Yeah, yeah. I never know. I never have understood why that that ends up happening. Well, today we're. Um, it's, it's me in charge of the show, and for the next couple of shows, it's going to be me in charge of the show, because Daryl and the rest of the Windward team are in Grenada, and my understanding is that they're going to be island hopping a little bit and going down to St. Vincent. He's been talking about this on the show. I guess I'm just repeating it, but that's, that's where he's at. Now is heading uh, towards St. Vincent from Grenada. They were posting all these beautiful pictures on Facebook, yeah. and I was sitting there jealous. Why am I not in Grenada? And uh, they're going to – what did you say? They're going to show up in St. Vincent and trade out some some of the, some of the passengers are going to jump off and, and – Fly home, and new passengers are going to get on and make the return trip. Well, that sounds, that so, sounds like a wise some, plan. Some people are doing the entire route, so – I think you can get a better deal sometime on the boat if you return it to where you picked it up or oh, yeah, something like yeah, that. That's, that's why they're bringing them back. But uh, So they're, you know, half of the people or whatever are getting a really long trip out of the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, I guess you kind of stop at the same ports, but you might be looking forward to that once you know them. Yeah, but it's kind of fun yeah. to come back a day or two later. Whether they're going to make the same stops on the way back or uh, I'm not sure oh, what yeah, the plan I, is. I suppose they could it's, just, it's island hopping in the Caribbean. Straight so. shot or something, you know. But so, they're on great big catamarans, so Well it's it's two weeks 
Yeah. But they're actually they chartered it for two weeks, and then there's always some planning before and after. If you're the charter company, you have to go down there. Daryl sometimes takes a nice big toolkit and all kinds of other stuff because if you're in in the middle of nowhere, you can't call the charter company up and say, can, can you send a towboat over here to us <laughs> 70 miles away? Yeah. 100 miles away. I think I think I talk, I think Daryl said it was a, a 100 miles Probably. each way. I was looking on the map while ago and it's pretty pretty good distance, yeah. That's a nice a nice distance in a, a catamaran like that. You're not in a big hurry, but uh gives, yeah, but gives you those overnight experiences on the boat and right. All that kind of stuff. And well, you, when you're paying the kind of money that uh, those charge, you sure don't want to just be sitting out in the middle of the ocean floating waiting for somebody to Come help. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we did the. I did the charter two years ago on, on this particular same windward trip, but we went to uh, St. Martin, etc. And there were a couple of times we did actually have to get down into the uh, into the body of the boat and poke around to see what was you know was working and what wasn't. It was it was well maintained boat, but uh, I think it was something to do with a water maker that we ended up. Mm. I don't remember if we blew a fuse or something else but it is nice to have a water maker when you're uh yes when you're out there and that way you can take a shower and everything else well um, now all of a sudden i can't find it on the map <laughs> what saint vincent yeah <laughs> i know it's there somewhere it's it's down there in the islands and that's probably it's, all our all our audience really needs to know it's in the islands man. it's it's warm there's saint vincent they have beer they have beer everybody's happy so this this past, I guess it's about almost a month ago now. We had this uh, wild oats um, mm. protest, and I really found it interesting to read um, what different people had to say about it. For everybody listening who has no idea what I'm talking about, there's a, a, a big race that races from Sydney uh, to Hobart down in Australia, and uh, it's known as the Sydney Hobart race and it usually has really strong wind it's usually a very uh, weather driven race you have mm -hmm. to do your routing and you're planning to get everything done right and there have been some people who died in this race I think it's about 20 years ago the seas apparently get can get really bad really bad I mean, sea state coming through the straits of something yeah I'm right not there. sure I yeah. don't know my Australia oh, where they come by one of the little islands or something I think the current and the waves get really bad, or can. Yeah, I know they get uh, what they get weather from the south. I guess from Antarctica or whatever, right, driv right. driven with fairly cold ocean water, and so I guess I'm not too surprised because Australia is not cold, so the yeah. temperature level is going to drive some weather there. Of course, it's summertime, more or less, sort of springtime, I yeah. guess, down there. But they uh, anyway. This this wild oats uh, eleven boat last year. At the very beginning of the race, uh, tacked across his competition, and he was on port. The competition was on starboard, and he fouled his competition, and he didn't take any kind of penalty. <laughs> it's Oops. the biggest, wealthiest boat in the fleet, and he chose to – the I, probably the skipper chose to make a really simple, easy-to-understand tactical mistake, and it was – very puzzling to the world when he decided that, well, no, we, we it was fine. It was no big deal. And then he was kicked out. Yeah. He, he would have won last year had he simply not fouled a boat and or, and or taken his penalty, but he didn't do it. Mm. And so this year he uh, 
he was racing, and at the end of the race, uh, people had noticed that he wasn't running AIS, which is uh, is it active inter Auto information? Automatic, automatic identification Automatic system. identification system. I know what AIS is, but yeah. I never really remember the acronym. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, same thing as uh, transponders in uh, aircraft. Yeah, it works over, it's VHF 89, 88, uh, yeah, I think. It's two, VHF, two, two, yeah. two VHF mm -hmm. channels that uh, um, I guess the FCC agreed to turn into um, transponder channels. And what they're, what they're broadcasting is kind of like a modem sending a, a digital signal. And when you, you can go to marinetraffic.com and places like that, you can see, um, I think it's marinetraffic.com. Sounds right, at Sounds least. Sounds right, yeah. You can go there and you can see that they, uh, the different shipping. It's really interesting to look at the Houston ship channel, for example. I have some friends' yeah. boats who leave their, leave their AIS on in the slip. You can see a sailboat sitting yeah. in the slip. It'll give you the position, speed, which is, of course, zero sitting. Sometimes so. I've looked at it and it's like two-tenths of a knot. Yeah. Because <laughs> the wind is blowing the boat around a little bit, I guess. So it, it sends a, a, what they call a datagram, and that, that information is, you know, important stuff for boat to boat. How big yeah. is your boat? How fast is it going? What's your next port of call might be in there? That kind of thing. And you can go online and track your vessel documentation, and that'll give you pictures and all kinds of other things about the boat. So sometimes offshore, it could be really, really nice to know which which boat is which. But it's mostly a commercial thing. This particular race, they um, require that you run your AIS through the entire race. But they also in in the race instructions, and they also require that you run your. Um, they had a certain kind of transponder. I wasn't familiar with which one they were running. But you could identify the boats on the transponder, but you couldn't tell how fast they were going and things like that, which is information that AIS gives you so you can coordinate traffic. And uh, the argument was that since they didn't have their AIS on, they had left it off so that other boats couldn't figure out where they were going and if they'd gotten an advantage from the wind or a disadvantage from the wind, if the position was good, the other competitors who were behind them would want to be able to say, okay, well, I'm not going over there or look at how much speed he's got. I am going yeah. over there. It, it, everybody else was, uh, uh, had theirs on and sharing their personal information and these guys didn't yeah well i think that's actually a question i think not all of the boats had theirs on for the entire race as well uh, uh. um but anyway so at the end of the race um one of the competitors talked to the race committee uh he was on uh, did you say it was black jack was black, the name of the boat Black jack he was the runner-up and he was um, said that mark richards who was the owner of uh wild oats 11 said he didn't run his AAS. Are you, you know, are you going to protest? Is the race committee going to protest this? And there was a big hullabaloo that this guy's going to get kicked out a second year in a row for violating the rules. And he clearly did violate the rules. He's even on video standing right after he gets off the boat and saying, I, I, I have to paraphrase him, but he's saying something along the lines of, it's no big deal. We had the transponder on. Everybody had all the information they needed. But, of course, the argument is the transponder doesn't the, give you... The, the specific rule required to have the AIS on. You're, you're required to have it, and your competitors have every right to see your boat speed position, you yep. know, to tell if you're accelerating in the wind or something like that. If they're having to transmit it, then you should have to transmit it. Right. And then, so the, the protest was kicked out. Did you... Well, it, it, what I read was that the, the race committee itself filed the protest. Right. And since they weren't uh, the uh, – the, of course, they have to get – when you file a protest, you have to have a jury. And, and in a race like that, I'm sure they've got 
world-class people uh, that have the, the uh, experience to be judges and stuff, and world-class type folks, and they had them on the jury. Well, they looked at it and says, hey, the race committee actually is not a competitor, therefore they have no standing, and so the somebody that has standing in the thing should have filed a protest. Yeah, my, my reading of it was a little bit different, that I think what they were saying was the race committee could have watched the race, could have paid attention to whether or not everybody's running it, and could have filed their own mm. protest had they wanted to. Mm. But since they heard about it secondhand from this blackjack boat, the blackjack boat was the one required to file the protest. Right. He did not file the protest. Since the guy who saw it didn't file the protest, it was yeah. tossed out. Disallowed, so... The guy finally won. <laughs> yeah, so you know the owner of Wild Oats Eleven managed to to pull it off. And what I what I um, found really interesting was watching people I know on Facebook who um, are race committees. They they run races or they're judges or something else. And some of the discussions they had because it took them a while to figure out what they thought. Yeah, was this fair or not? Should the race committee have been allowed? To kick them out and should they have been kicked out the other question is of course wild oats 11 perhaps they should say oh we did break the rules we're we, we're withdrawing yeah. they have you know there's there's that corinthian spirit it's supposed to be yeah uh, but apparently from last year when he fouled everybody on port attack <laughs> and didn't do his turns or whatever and Said no big deal. I guess he really doesn't care. So. I guess it was pretty clear, yeah, last year that he's not necessarily feels he's going to follow all the rules. Yeah. So, but I I thought that was very interesting because it was, um, you know, he could he he could have disqualified himself or something else, but also the the discussion was well if they're not going to enforce these rules why are there any rules and all that kind of thing, but on the other hand I was thinking if you're if you're the race committee. And you kick out the first place boat because they violated the AS rules. But there are any other boats that didn't follow the rules the whole time? Right. You right. as the race committee have an obligation to everybody, and you probably would have to feel obligated to, to look at the tracks of every single boat. If you're going to go back and look at the track after you've been told, you know, Wild Oats 11 didn't run it, and you go back and look and kick them out, you're obligated you know, because you can't let the second place guy come up and nitpick every single detail of what the, his competitor did wrong. Yeah, you're obligated as a race committee to say, "Well, we're the organizing, you know, authority, et cetera, and we're race committee, and we're we're going to kick everybody out." F fair is fair is fair. Because I I think I think Blackjack I think I've read that he didn't run AIS the whole race as mm -hmm. well, but that it was like just a short period. Yeah. But the only the only information they would have the race committee would have had, of course, would have been to be able to go back and look at the AIS tracks. Yeah, I don't I don't know what, you know if it I'm not that familiar with the whole AIS system whether it records it someplace is recording it continuously or it's just a spot check kind of thing. I think they're close enough to shore that the different marine traffic websites and so forth would have done would it. it. But in this case, I think the race committee had boats along the way and were recording mm -hmm. everything. So I think they did have full tracks. Like you mentioned, they had a, another system too. I know, uh, you know, we use a spot tracker up here, mm -hmm. a lot of people, and they may have had something like that down there also. Yeah, it looked like the other one was some kind of uh, satellite based mm -hmm. tracker, yeah. but it wasn't giving all the information. The uh, um, Well, we've, we've had some controversy like that 
uh, I can't think of anything specific, but uh, you know, being on the board of GBCA for a number of years, and that's kind of come up that okay, well, they didn't do this and they didn't do that, and should we kick them out? Should we not? Okay, so it can be it can be very difficult yeah. too because they show up uh, the the person complaining shows up and says they saw something happen. And so it's this, he said, she said. And, and again, the, I do know the ra- racing rules of sailing, which is the governing rules from, for the entire world. And it does say that you have to file the formal protest. And, yeah. uh, and there's a time limit. Yeah. And, and, so, and there's the other question. Did, did, uh, was there a rule that maybe Blackjack had to fly a red plo- protest flag mm-hmm. or in some other way protest? Because it may be he can't protest unless he takes certain steps. That's very right. common as right. well. Yeah. So you can't let the race committee just step back in and, 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 and change things like that unless, like I said, he addresses all the votes would be my theory. But right. in this case, it was something else. The, the other interesting thing is, and, and I don't even remember the name of it now, but uh, this guy who owns Wild Oats, it's a family with lots of money there in, in Australia. <laughs> I think it's 100 meters long or something. Like, it's, yeah. It's not 100 meters, maybe 100 feet. 100 feet, yeah. yeah. 100 meters would be a lot that's huge. a big boat. No, it's a 100-foot long boat, and they've modified it repeatedly, cut it in in the middle to move the middle section backwards oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. all kinds they, of other things like that. They, they just made it longer too, just by yeah. sticking a section in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And, Mark, uh, Mark Richards is his name. Yeah. Mark Richards. And they, they own another boat, the, the previous, I think it's the previous wild oats and they, they offered it to an all female crew and that crew came, did, did quite well in their fleet with this borrowed previous version of Wild Oats, mm-hmm. and they went out there and raced. So he's apparently a really big deal down there in Australia as far as sailing, and I think the whole family is, if I understand yeah. it. So uh. I thought that was a, a controversy worth discussing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so coming up next, um, we've got the second race in the Icicle, the GBCA Icicle Racing Series coming up in uh, – here at the uh, on Saturday. Yep. And uh, as 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 I always promote it, those races are basically big, long, fun. This particular one, I think, is about twelve miles, something like that. Yeah, I think this one. Something. No, like, no uh, the icicles are about eight something. About eight. Yeah. Um, the summer series race winds up being right at thirteen. Most of the boats, I think, the first start is at noon, so it's That's nice by the by the schedule. Yeah, it's at noon, but. Uh, Depending on your rating, why? I think, uh, like my personally owned boat, I have a Catalina 22, and its rating. Everybody says, "Oh, well, you're supposed to start yesterday," because <laughs> I get such an advantage. Uh, but yeah, I, I start like about 20 minutes after whatever the initial time is. Yeah. So the uh, the, the ratings and the handicaps are always a big deal in these races, even though the promotion of the races is that they're supposed to just be kind of relaxed fun yeah. race once people get once people get to talking about handicapping the boats they're they start arguing so yeah. um we've had uh what do you what do you think about splitting the boats up one of those splits that gbca did was uh to try to sp- take the boats that had uh, a spread on the front of them so that you could fly a spinnaker that's more like a genoa for people who aren't familiar with a sprit it's called a Jenniker generally, but the racing boats like a J105, et cetera, we split those off in one class and the boats that didn't have that into another class. 
You think that's wise? What's your opinion on that, Charles? Yeah, there was some some uh, complaining before the races started back uh, back before the first of the year. People not complaining, but make, <laughs> people making suggestions for rule changes. And one was they they had it where uh, last year they had uh, in in the Spinnaker fleet they had. Poleless or sprit boats. In other words, if you had a, a pole that stuck out from the front of your boat, which allows you to fly the the spinnaker further forward, which gets it into cleaner air. Right. And uh, if you had anything, it could be a fixed one or it could be one that goes uh, retractable. Uh, then you were in the sprit. They call it a sprit. And so that then you were in the sprit class, and and other people that didn't use any kind of pole, they just hooked it right on the front end of the boat. They were non-sprit, yeah. But they could still fly an asymmetrical spinnaker, and it's it's uh, and that was a distinct advantage if you have a sprit or a pole. Yeah. Uh, the so that that split them off, but uh, the suggestions were being made before they started here that. Even with that, that the uh, J boats, which is a particular brand of boat, mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a brand of boat, and they're built to be race boats. Uh, they make some that they go, oh yeah, it's a cruiser, but it's a fast cruiser, meaning okay, no, it's still really a race boat. Yeah, I'm not aware of any J boats that were ever intended to be slower than than the other similar boats. Exactly, <laughs> that they're, they're compared built, to. There are some cruising. J boats, but yeah, they're fast. They're fast. Uh, so now somebody wants to almost split the J boats off from the other sprit boats, even. Uh, and uh, you know, you see people. Um, Scott Tuma, for example, has commented mm-hmm. quite a bit about this. Uh, he runs Wednesday night racing down here, and so forth. And and he's been involved in the handicapping of this issue and other things for, with the perf board for a while. And his comments are, are really spot on. I, I'll try to reproduce uh, my understanding. But what he was saying basically is you've got uh, um, performance hulls on some of these boats. And right. the, also the person who designed the boat will have designed a boat where the, the, um, the standing headroom is reduced down below. And the reason that's an advantage is weight. But it's also an advantage. It produces less drag in the wind for people who aren't don't understand why you would want the part that sticks up above the water to be as short as possible. It makes the boat faster upwind. Um, and you know, so the point is that the people who went and bought a racing boat in the first place then went and bought racing sails, and then they went and got the guy who sold them the racing sails or somebody else to come and sail with them and teach them how to get everything right, and then they competed against identical boats, so they, they always knew when there was that little advantage. And they, they cleaned the bottoms. And, and they, the bottoms are clean before every race. Yep, things like that. And well, it costs, you know, it's, it's yacht racing. Who thinks it's going to be cheap? Yep. And uh, so trying to figure out how to have the different classes, because we want to have people, you know, if you want to get your, your, your cruising boat out there and race it in a run race, we definitely want you to be yep. there and we want you to have a good time. And trying to figure out how to make it fair is like having, you know, Tiger Woods and then a handicap for me golfing yeah. against him. Yeah. It's not, there's never, there's no way that the, the handicap would have to be like 400 yeah. swings or something like that. 
And it would never be fair because I would just get lucky and win once in a while. It wouldn't mean that I was a good competitor. And on the other hand, it's a yacht. So a lot of times you'll have great sailors who are on a boat that just isn't handicapped well, or they happen to sail on a cruising boat, you know, our our Commodore sails on a um, big heavy, I think it's a hunter uh, from Beneteau from time to time that, Mm. you know, he knows, he knows he's not jumping on a racing boat, but he'd still like to be competitive like everybody would and have a class of people to race. Have have a, and that's some of the arguments is that some of the the folks are saying, Hey, you know, uh, no matter how good we can sail our boat, we're probably not going to beat the J-boats. Yeah, and uh, it's not just the – you were saying this earlier. Yeah. It's, well, um, that's, that's kind of their, their the big uh, gist except for uh, – well, there's one guy that, that just kills it, and, and he sailed a Catalina 22, and he came in second yeah. in, in the Spinnaker class. And, yeah. uh, you know, and the Catalina 22 is a – Oh, the first boat was built in uh, 68, I believe. There's se- over mm-hmm. 17,000 of them built, and it was built, it's 22 feet long, and it's a clunky little boat, and it was built to be a little family cruiser boat. But, of course, people are going to take anything and try to turn it into a racer, which these guys has. And this guy prepares the boat well. He sails it very well. And uh, and so he he beating some of the bigger, faster boats, and uh, you know because of the handicap situation. And so, when they say, "Oh, the J boats are winning everything," well, not necessarily. Yeah, and you've got sailmakers like Pedro with UK Sailmakers yeah. sails uh, Pingo, which is a. Do you know the brand? Beloche. It's, Beloche. it's built in Argentina. It's Argentinian. Arden, Argentina. He's from Pedro is from Argentina, and so he, Pe- he Pedro Gionati. He knew which which boat to, oh, to buy and brought it up that's here. His, that's his good buddy down there. He's got a buddy that made it. Well, that's not too the big. Builds the boat. He, uh, you know, he, he brings it back up here, makes perfect sales for it, knows how to sail it, and gets out there and competes. I, I still remember one of the first rum races. He won it, but then somebody said, well, you sailed into the ship channel, and you're not allowed to do that. And he said, I'm not. And he said, no. And he said, then I withdraw. Yeah, that's Pedro. He's He's a... First class. <laughs> yeah, there was no no question. He was, you yeah. know, obviously not happy that, that he'd made a mistake, but he didn't blame anyone else for right. it. And, and, he knew, and he knew he won anyway. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's several other classes of racing boats that'll show up. The Melgis will show up and race, and Pedro, of course, will show up and race. And then sometimes we used to have a lot of Mum 36 boats here years ago. Um, and, you, you know, it's not just the J-boats, but I think J-boats managed to – take over most of the class racing yep. with their fast boats. And so that's what everybody who races they, sailboats is racing. They're good boats, and they're reasonably priced. And they're tough. Uh, and they're tough. And so they've developed, and, they, and they, when they come out with a new boat, uh, the J-Boat Company really promotes yeah. new boats and promotes the class and they they really they really work it <laughs> and and generally once you see a class of j boats form it holds value the boat will hold value reasonably well but a lot of times if you buy a one-off racing boat if it doesn't form a class even j boats you see, some of the j boats yeah. that didn't form classes aren't worth very much money nowadays right. but the ones who did i mean j105s are considered a newer j boat but they were introduced in 92 so yeah. that's a long time back and they're still worth quite a bit of money for a, a boat yeah. that that you can't stand big, up down a, below <laughs> it's a big well if you're short enough you can <laughs> which i'm i'm about 
probably two to three inches a little too tall to stand straight up. But, uh, yeah, um, we do have uh, some crew members that can stand up. Some of the young ladies, are, or in in one, won't, won't mention his name, but Steve yep. can stand straight. Up. <laughs> Steve can stand straight up down below in the boat, and we hassle him about it too. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a big advantage, isn't it, to be able to stand up down below? It, it saves on the back, and, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, and you end up with, this is always the classic thing. You end up handicapping boats, and then we start talking about it. Like like one of the other boats is a trimaran. Yeah. So we have to have a class for them. Obviously, they're so different yeah. speed-wise. But, you know, you, you go out there at the end of a rum race or at the end of an icicle race, and you will see a couple of J22s, a J105 and a J92S all finish at the same time. Yeah. And then here comes the J46 just right behind them. And they're all very different boats with some of them are symmetrical, some of them are asymmetrical, spinnakers, et cetera. One's a cruising-sized boat that's mm -hmm. very fast. And uh, they still end up finishing together because those are the people who they spent so much time and energy and money and everything else. And, of course, it's J-Boat, which I perhaps is an advantage. I mean, jumping yeah. on board a boat where they've worked out all the problems is a help. Sure. Well, and, and that's the thing. Uh, there's a lot of boats, and they're really good boats, and they're solid boats, but they were not built nor designed nor built to be racers. Uh, sure. And the J-Boat line was primarily built to be race boats. So yeah. everything about them is, is built and designed to race. Like you were saying about your friend on the Catalina 22, who, you know, who jumps on board a boat that has a little dinette area and a yeah. it has a stove? It's a 22 and foot long boat with a stove and a, and a pop top and a pop top. You can raise the pop top up and get standing headroom, but you don't want to do that while you're sailing. <laughs> It'll come down and hurt you. Oh, will it? <laughs> if you if the little latch lets go, it would be. Painful. How much do you think the top weighs? Oh, at least a hundred pounds or more. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, Very heavy. It's, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, it's it's built really. It's probably uh, solid laminate. Oh, because it's uh, a big chunk of fiberglass. Because it's about uh, three foot across and four foot front to back, and you got to be able to stand on it and jump up and down on it because if you're up on the deck doing things, so yeah. it's built very good and it's heavy. I guess probably that fleet first formed when three or four guys pulled up with their Catalina 22s in like 1970 at Lake something <laughs> or another, and they said, wait a minute, I bet mine's faster. Uh, well, the, the, what's the adage about if, if two boats are on the same body of water, a race will ensue? <laughs> always got to see how fast you yeah, can yeah, go. Yeah, always got to try to beat the other guy. Yeah, and, and they, uh, the boat still is being built today, and it's not built to have a spinnaker. But guess what? All the guys rig them up to put spinnakers on, which uh, is pretty clunky, but it now, works. They um, they don't have uh, like a fixed backstay, do they? It's a uh, or is the it? original ones did, but uh, they uh, I think the newer ones all come with adjustable backstays, and then they have built kits to convert them to adjustable backstays. Huh. My, mine, when I bought it, uh, I'm, which is over way over twenty years ago, it still had just a single backstay uh and right so that's just a, a length of wire that attaches to the back of the boat and the top of the mast right and it came down and right away uh, and there was only one uh, eye bolt on one side of the the boat that that attached to 
So if you wanted to put an adjustable backstay, which is a split thing, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, you had to buy a whole new wire coming down from the top of the main because it come down about uh, probably eight feet from the bottom, and then you had a bridle that split it off on both sides of the, the transom of the boat, and there's where you made the adjustment. So you had to have an attachment point on the other side, which they thought about it at some point in the manufacturing process and embedded a brass plate in the fiberglass. And so normally your backstay only runs to one side of the back right. of the boat? It's when it was off. non-adjustable. Yeah, it was off to one side. Well, it, not very far, but it, like foot and a half to one side of center line. And so they put a plate on the other side in case you wanted to drill it and put right. an eye bolt in there. Which, and Which I did. And sure enough, there it was. It was there's a brass. You know, you drill a little bit, and then you start hitting brass chips, and and drill it to the right size, thread it, and then in the, the kit that you bought to change it all out, well, there was another eye bolt that you screwed down in there. So the kit was a Catalina part. There, there's a company in California, Catalina Direct, and they make aftermarket parts. stuff, parts, and and kits and everything for the Catalina. 20, about they're making it for about four or five different uh, models now, but uh, originally that was just for the Catalina 22. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. For people who don't know why we're talking about the backstay on the boat, there's a lot of things you can do when sailing, and one of them is you got the mast here. You can tighten up the backstay, and it'll bend the mast, um, and that will uh, change the sa- shape, of course, of the mainsail that's attached to that mast by pulling the curve out of the middle of it. And so what happens is is people who want to race boats go and fiddle around with all of that stuff. And so those of us who race will be out there in the water looking at your cruising boat and we're looking at your mainsail and we're like, well, you know, you need to harden that up. You need to, <laughs> and you're sitting there having a cocktail looking at us like, what are those idiots over there doing? Why are they running around pulling all those ropes? Look at all that work. Yes. Then the guy in the cruising boat reaches over and pushes a button, and the mainsail rolls up, and mm. that's the point where we kind of look at him like, maybe we want a cruising boat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're killing ourselves trying to get the sail down in a in a big breeze, and it's flopping and beating us to death, and we're trying to get it down, and yeah, they just push the button. And, mm-hmm. I think I think you just hit on something there. I think that's why a lot of the you know, sailors who race learn a lot of things about how to handle their boats. And I think one of the one of the reasons is we push ourselves out there. Even when that storm is coming, we wait until the last little bit of, you yep. know, when it's in the last moment when we can change the sails because we're yep. trying to compete in a race and we have to go as fast in the light air, even though we see the front coming through behind <sighs> us or whatever. And so we, we get caught with our pants down pretty All often. Right. <laughs> I was out there with with uh, my grown grandson. He was about eighteen and nineteen, and one of his buddies. And I was out there on my Kelly and twenty two, and we had gone up north towards the Houston Yacht Club, and nice sunshiny day and stuff. And we were turn around and coming back, and I had my full main up and uh, my full sight one fifty five Genoa mm-hmm. pulled out, and. Uh, and we were doing real good. And at some point, I did look behind me, and I noticed back up the way there were—I could see some white caps. I go, "Hmm, there's, there's a little breeze coming." And uh, anyway, all of a sudden, that that snuck up on us. And the next thing I know, we're really we're moving, <laughs> and the waves got big. And and uh, people would call me a liar, but I have a speedometer on the boat, speedo, and 
According to it, when we slid down the front of one of those waves, it registered 11 knots. Your Catalina 22. Catalina 22, who theoretically shouldn't go over 5.6 knots. <laughs> I think it was a planing hole that day. Oh, it was just like it was sliding downhill. Now, they have pretty flat bottoms. Oh, it is flat, yeah. That's, so that's it probably will kind of. It, yeah, it would do that. And it also pound, makes it pound when you're going into the waves. But um, that was I, that was my woohoo moment. And, uh, I finally told my grandson and his buddy, uh, go down there and get the life jackets. And and, uh, and hold probably, on for dear probably, life. Yes, and hold on. And I actually put my grandson to driving. He's a big boy. And he was driving, and I went forward and dropped that 155 <laughs> up there. And I was holding on really well, too. There's been several moments when you and I have been caught on boats where we needed to yep. drop a spinnaker, for example, as yep. the breeze broaches us or whatever else it might be. Yeah. The proudest moment of, of is still that we, we managed to go nine knots with a spinnaker up, double-handing offshore <laughs> while grilling bratwursts on that the back was, of the boat. That, that was, was the, a good one. Yep. That was a perfect moment. And then, of course, we had that near, near not near, it was not even a near well, broach, I wouldn't say, but we were really starting to lose the rudder. and It started to go in the direction we didn't want it to go. And, uh, luckily, we had that asymmetrical spinnaker, as we've been talking about, because trying to get a symmetrical down would have been even more. I mean, I guess there are techniques. You could letter box it or something, but doing that double-handed yeah. is No, not, that would have uh, not been fun. Not fun. And in those winds, it would have blown right the heck off the deck anyway, so, mm -hmm. even if we letter boxed it. So I'm... Uh, on that note, um, I guess we should announce GBCA has a new Commodore. Mike Lewis was elected, and he's in place now. So when you when you come to the rum races, and I know you will, because everybody watching this, even in France, yes. is going to jump onto an aircraft and come race our rum races with us. And when are the rum races? <laughs> Every Saturday this month. And then the first Saturday of February is going to be the Commodore's Ball for GBCA. So you should, of course, sign up for that. And then one more rum race, the Judge Smales, I think. Isn't that right? Yeah. Um, where you dress up, the uh, Caddyshack references, um, et cetera. Judge Smales is, of course, uh, what is that actor's name? Judge Smales actor. He's dead now. Ted Knight. Ted Knight. Ted Knight. Dress up as the way that Ted Knight did in Caddyshack. We go out there and, and dress, there's people will show up dressed as gophers, you know, and on all the rest of it, there's going to be somebody wearing the same hat that uh, um, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Thank you. My <laughs> brain stopped working there. Bill Murray weared, weared in that. Weared am I? I mean, weared, Texas. Yeah. And, uh, it's fun. It's a great race. But anyway, so that's everything. There's uh, what? Three, three more of them this month and then one in February. Right. So we've had right. one already, which was a blast. Beautiful weather. Fairly light, but beautiful. Gorgeous. I hope this next one's is nice. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Commodore's Ball, which you should sign up for. And um, we've got a – what other events do we have coming up in the sailing community? Charles, can you think of anything off the top of your head? No. You were can, looking through the calendar continue, earlier. Continue to talk. I will continue to keep our audience the, uh, amused. I'll bring up the calendar here. Um, so, anyway, what happens with uh, these icicle races and rum races is that they're a big, long, relaxed course out there. 
and uh, the competition gets tough. But then you have the major regattas where people show up and they uh, they've got everything dialed in, and the spinnakers are beautiful, and everything's going, and you can. Um, find yourself a friend and show up at one of them if you're not uh, into racing. And I think you'll be convinced that this is one of the better-looking better sports, at least, yep. out there. What else? What did ne you find, next thing, for, next thing for GBCA is the spring regatta on the March 9 and 10. Well, that's a, that's a month away from yep. our last yep. icicle race. Yeah. So uh, I know the other yacht clubs, LYC and uh, HYC, have some races some, coming yeah, filling out. In there. Anybody uh, who's interested in the local racing scene can go to GBCA, www.gbca.org, and look through the, the calendar there at the top of the page. Click on that and go to the Google Calendar is the one that's going to generally have the, the most up-to-date picture of what's going on each month right. at the different yacht clubs and everything mm -hmm. else. There'll be entry lists and so forth and all the different major uh, yacht club websites so that you can figure out how to sign up and how much they cost. And I know that the racing down here is generally much less expensive than yeah. it is in other parts of the country, probably because the competition between us clubs. The, the, the big one uh, that GBCA does and, and everybody competes in it, and they've got it listed as TGIF series. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank God it's Friday. But uh, – most of them are on Saturdays, but that runs from uh, April 19th through September the 13th. So that's the whole summer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've pretty got much a, one every weekend. We've got uh, Wednesday night racing oh, yeah. on Clear Lake. And then GBCA has uh, both Friday night and Saturday day races um, over the course of most of the weekends that don't have other other regattas going on. So the, the sailing and racing community down here are, yeah. are enormous. You can – you can go to a race here in Galveston Bay just almost every weekend, all year long, really. Uh, you know, the the last race at, uh, of the year was the Turkey Regatta up at HYC, which was before Thanksgiving. And then, uh, golly, they started up again January the second or whatever it was. Well, actually, we had the Turkey Regatta, and then we had the Chili Chase Oh, in the December. Chili Chase, that's right. That's right. So we, we had that in December, and then... Golly, we didn't have any kind of racing for three weeks, and then we start again 1st of January. <laughs> three so. weeks. We did the Revagna, Rav which is hangover yeah. spelled backwards, mm. on January 1st at Houston Yacht Club. And, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, you can, you can find some almost every weekend. The, uh, the Yacht Clubs all also have all kinds of other events going on. So people will look at the cost of signing up for a Yacht Club, but it's kind of you have to look at how much you're going to actually spend on your crew going to a bar or wherever it is you go afterwards, going to a restaurant afterwards, how much you're going to spend on your crew um, for entertainment because the Yacht Clubs provide a fair amount of entertainment and camaraderie that you just can't get sitting around at a random bar right. um, or restaurant or church and you you know random uh, bar you're not going to hear all these wild exaggerated stories about how you rookie, got rookie dude got beat in the race because somebody else messed up you know yeah and you can't get into an argument over uh the handicaps i i always i always talk to the people who are a member of the organizations phrf in particular that do the handicapping and it's always the same story isn't it charles yep yep uh you know should have been this, should have been that. If I'd have had this rating, we'd have won. Okay, yeah. And can you imagine hearing that story when you're uh, sitting at a restaurant with your family right, and right, somebody's yeah. walked up to say, hey, yeah, I don't like my handicap. <laughs> there yeah. you are donating your time to the 
handicapping organization and somebody gets angry with you at the yep. least opportune time. And uh, yeah, that's that's the deal with our bicycle races in the uh, in the uh, summer series uh, race uh, for GBCA. Uh, we we'll always have a party afterwards over at the GBCA clubhouse, which is in the water Watergate. Yeah, Watergate. Water well, that's going to do it for this episode of Sea Venture Radio. Um, thank you for tuning in to listen to me and Charles talk about yacht racing the entire time. I don't think we got on a different subject. Uh, as usual, find us at SeaVentureRadio on gmail.com and uh, go out there and feel the heel.